You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, Vox and Hops heads? I'm Matt, the vocals from Cryptopsy. You're listening to my podcast, Vox and Hops, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians to talk about their lives, music, and craft beer. All month long for the month of June, we are doing the spotlight on Unique Leader Records. They have graciously set up for you, Vox and Hops heads, a promo code for their indie merch e-store. You should absolutely go check out that e-store. They have a whole bunch of amazing bands. Super stoked. I love Unique Leader Records, and you should too. I'm super biased because a lot of my friends happen to be on Unique Leader, but absolutely go support Extreme Music. You can go to their indie merch e-store, pick up some of those pre-orders. There's a whole bunch of amazing bands that are dropping some stuff in the next few weeks and next few months, and you can uh, save some money by applying the promo code VOXANHOPS, V-O-X-A-N-D-H-O-P-S, when you're checking out. Do it. Support Extreme Music. Support the things you love. Support Unique Leader Records. On today's episode, I'm with Kim Dilla of Kill a Custom Rockware, and she used to sing for a little band called Guar. Here it is, Vox and Hops, episode number 156. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. Hey, what's up, everyone? Today, I'm with Kim Dilla from Kill a Custom Rockware. Uh, formerly of uh, Guar, it is uh, super great to be with you. Uh, we had an epic <laughs> for you and I. It was an afternoon. <laughs> yeah, breakfast gig <laughs> <laughs> last weekend, uh, along with the a whole bunch of other great people. Uh, John invited me from Crew Can. Uh, I had a great time. It was a. It, it led into a wild night. At, yeah. <laughs> at the at their virtual pub. Us starting, we were in North America, they were over in Europe, so for them it was a bit more of a soothing time frame <laughs> to get early drunk. So so it, I had a great night, it was a lot of fun, but the next morning was a bit rough. Yeah, I, um, I've been um, guesting with vocals for CrewCon since the 70,000 Tons cruise, and then now the pandemic hit, we started doing these. It started as a live chat Q&A. But then all of us got drunk on the call, and it lasted for like five hours. So we renamed it the Virtual Pub, and then redid it. I mean, it's Irish people and Finnish people, and no one that's legendary for drinking or anything. And you know, being it's Irish time, and then I'm in Virginia, so that's East Coast U.S. time, same time as you. You know, it was like 2 p.m., and I, I'm a night person, so I'm just getting up. So I'm like, well, I guess I'll have Guinness with my breakfast. <laughs> And the call got way funnier, like, as all of us got more drunk. So I was like, well, I got to start drinking whiskey at noon this time. But then Keith made me chug my Trappist ale, and I don't really remember that much after that. No, no, yeah, the things, <laughs> things got a bit fuzzy after that. <laughs> but you were a good sport. That's good. Yeah, it was fun. The hangover was not fun, but I earned it. <laughs> it, 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 comes, it comes with doing what we do sometimes. Exactly. Take one for the team. Vox and Hops is all about hanging out with my metal friends and talking about their lives, music, and of course, craft beer. What are you drinking there, Kim? All right. So I love that your podcast is called Vox and Hops because it's like my two favorite things is metal vocals and craft beer. So um, I live in Charlottesville, Virginia, which is a great region for craft beer. Um, I'm drinking one of my favorite local beers, which is called Satan's Pony from South Street Brewing. And it's an amber ale 
um, I guess Satan's Pony's like a red, you know, beer, but um, it's really well balanced and smooth. I like malt forward beers rather than hop forward beers, old world ales and things that monks in the 10 hundreds would have brewed or things that you drink in your like grumpy British or Irish pub that, you, you know, <laughs> you saunter down to every evening for some pints. That's my deal. But Satan's Pony is one of my go-tos. I don't think they distribute like very uh, wide, but if you come to Central Virginia ever, you should pick one up. It's got 5.3% alcohol and it's 12 IBU, but it's a really good amber ale. I have, um, I lost, I was gonna like buy a bunch of Virginia craft beer and I was like, well, I'll just talk about them. My liver's still healing from Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> It, it happens. It, it, that sounds delicious. That absolutely does. Me, what are you drinking? I am drinking from uh, Mabadaw City. I'm drinking their their Pilsner called Pils. It is a just their classic Pilsner. It clocks in at five percent. It is a blonde lager, and honestly, as you know, being a touring musician, when you go and end up playing in Europe, the best part of that is getting all of the amazing beers. But then by the end of the tour, I'm sort of fed up of drinking Pilsners. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and I end up like going out and just spending money at craft beer bars, which is what I do anyways. But uh, when I'm at home and I miss that, uh, the closest thing to a good European Pilsner is this Mabara City Pils. And a huge shout out to Gael and the Mabara City team for hooking me up with some brews to share with my friends during my interviews. So uh, cheers. Thank you for uh, having a beer with me virtually and uh, having, a, having a chat. Thanks for asking me on the beers podcast it's awesome <laughs> <laughs> let's start at the beginning uh classic vox and ops question at this point is what is the soundtrack of your youth when you were growing up what music was playing in your house when you were not in control of the radio what music did your parents or guardians listen to okay so um i'm super metal but my parents are physicists and nerds and we uh grew up listening to classical music and jazz pretty much only so I was on my own and I'm like the oldest child so I was on my own to discover things like um how I got into metal I would say it would be like my mid-teen years we would go to yard sales and I would buy records with crazy covers on them so I liked the artwork and then I just started listening to things that sounded more and more evil, and I kind of jumped off the deep end into the like elitist black metal thing and started like <laughs> tape trading with people in Norway. Who all of them, now, I've now met every single person that I tape traded with, even in Australia, That's as so of cool. two years ago. So we're all still in touch, and like that was awesome. I wanted to like be a bridge troll, like under the, you know, <laughs> if it wasn't recorded in a basement in Oslo, like on a four track. I wasn't into it. Um, I think Emperor is one of my favorites, even though they're much more technical and less, you know, basement cults. And then I liked all the um, Legion Noir, like French stuff, like um, Vlad Tepes, and then I still like like Despel Omega and things like that. Uh, but just all the classic Norwegian, you know, Mayhem, Dark Throne, Immortal. And then Swedish stuff like Bathory and any sort of old Swedish death metal, Entombed, Dismember, all that 90s Swedish chainsaw shit. That's my original stuff. Oh, German thrash, too. I love um, Creator, Sodom, Destruction. 
I'm a middle elitist asshole, honestly. <laughs> it's something that kids would never understand nowadays. Tape trading. It's 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 so foreign to them. Everything is 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 so immediate now. Immediate gratification. Whereas back in the day, you had to be patient if you wanted to experience something new. You had to have that patience and the determination to either go out and find it or to connect with those people to, that could hook you up with it. I mean, I feel like there's pluses and minuses to that. First of all, you have just this wealth of music in your phone, you know, at all times. And you can take it all with you and you can play it for anyone. And you you get recommendations based on things that you like. Or you can listen to the album. You don't have to go to the record store. But on the other hand, there's no sense of community. Like the black the extreme metal community, especially in America from the 90s. Like I still know all those people like we know each other because you had to kind of connect with each other at shows or write each other tape trade to you know get the music and then you appreciated it a lot more and then when i go back and listen to some of that now i'm just like why did i think this was awesome like this is terrible <laughs> you know and it was awesome because of what i had to go through to get it and that sense of community that i felt like listening to that not necessarily that that record was technically good it's like, <laughs> it's like that, that, sh that shitty weed when you got when you were 14 <laughs> with all the stems and the seeds in it <laughs> but you were still super happy to get high when you were 14 off it yeah. i was also like dropped into the deep end of the beer thing because i didn't i went to university of virginia which is like a big party school here but i didn't really i didn't really drink in college like I was too busy studying and being nerds. Well, having physicist parents, <laughs> high expectations on their part, I'm sure. Plus, like, the craft beer thing hadn't really started here yet, so I just really wasn't into I thought I didn't like beer. There's, like, Bud Light and Budweiser, and the only thing I liked is when we went to Germany to visit our f family friends that lived there, I would go to, like, the beer gardens in Bavaria and drink things like Weinstefaner or, like, Kapuziner or Eyinger, and I loved those beers. And there was like a wine importer in town that had like a European beer section. Half the time they were skunked as hell by the time they got there. <laughs> but I would drink all those. So then, you know, when I started drinking beer, I started drinking Belgian and, and Bavarian beers in my teen years. But, you know, those things were kind of hard to get for a while. And then craft beer happened and now i feel like america is like the beer mecca which is great <laughs> as opposed to the, like jokes on you guys well belgium belgium can't compete well they're it's different it's different they're they're much more traditional right whereas definitely america being america is always much more experimental and don't, aren't trapped within certain constraints because it has to be pure in germany that's like the german way it yeah, has to be pure. <laughs> exactly oh, and then in Belgium, it's, it's like tied to the abbeys and stuff so it's all locked up in that you know so here here we have no rules which is which is cool too and it, it falls into being much more metal yeah like, um, my dad lives in um, Delaware, the Delaware Beach, and that's where, like, Dogfish Head is. And they do some really cool things. Like, they put lobster in a stout. And I never thought that I would enjoy a seafood beer, but it really works. It's like a chocolate stout with, like, I guess they boiled lobster in water and then used that. But you can totally taste the sweet crustacean in there. And at first, it's kind of strikes you off guard and then then you're like actually this works 
<laughs> the worst, the worst like bad experiment I ever thought is like in town. I forget who made this beer, but somebody made an oregano beer. Okay, yeah, that's that's out there. It was not good, like in <laughs> yeah. my opinion. You know, it didn't work at all. It, it kind of tasted like those um, pizza combos, <laughs> <laughs> snacks. That <you> get. <laughs> take, take me to when you you started. Singing, were you a child? I, as a child, I always sang. I always wanted to be a singer. Were you someone like that? Um, so I actually started singing because I wanted to act in plays, and I couldn't get parts in the play unless I sang because half of them were musicals. Mm-hmm. But I didn't really like Broadway musical music or classical. I was in like opera lessons. It didn't really speak to me. And then when I would listen to like Morbid Angel or Cannibal Corpse in the car, I would try to like sing along and make that screaming sound. And then I got really good at death metal screams. And then I went to college and my friend Christina, who is also like a opera singer, was in like a goth band. She was practicing with this death metal band. And she was like, you should come scream for them. I'm like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing playing for a band. You know, (laughs) I don't know how to write a song. So they just uh, had me out and I screamed into the microphone and then they like stopped playing. Like John Tardy from Obituary is like my favorite vocal influence. So that's kind of what it sounds like. But I was like a hundred pound little girl at the time. So the juxtaposition was funny. And then, um, but you know, like the breath control when you when I took all those opera lessons versus um, metal singing i feel like all of that is the same thing because you're just pushing a lot of air out you know through a a tone in in your throat or mouth or you know with from your diaphragm and that's cool and then since then i've been invited to be in a bunch of different bands everywhere from guar which is kind of more like punk singing and kung fu dice my band before that was that and then i have a lot of extreme metal bands like a winter loss is my black metal band and um, then I have like some clean singing stuff. Like my current project is called The Burned Over, and it's like um, kind of doomy rock singing. Uh, and my friend Mark Danels, who is like session guitarist extraordinaire, <laughs> does all the instrumentation. That's very freeing that you have no limitations to to what you can be a part of. Yeah, it's fun. I like to. I think that it uh, if you stick to one genre, it limits what your influences are much like beer yeah belgium is great but they have to make belgian beer right or if you put lobster and oregano in your shit <laughs> you can do whatever you want <laughs> uh let's dance on to uh the killer custom rock where um that's actually the first thing that i heard about you from from the cryptopsy boys i think it was a few years ago was about your 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 stage clothes and stuff that you've been making for bands and uh, i think it's super cool uh let's just how did this all start when did you start making clothes and stage clothes for rock stars um so it was sort of a hobby that that snowballed um i'm an academic i was working at uva in in the um, sort of digital archaeology field, I guess you would call the simplify it. And then I was touring with my band on the side. And I could work remotely. And then I had a lot of friends in more famous bands, um, just from touring and going to shows and talking to people. And I would make my own stage clothes because I couldn't afford any stage clothes. And people liked them. I think the first person to wear my stuff was Joey Jordison from Slipknot, who is like a really good friend of mine. 
So he, we're the same size, and he stole my jacket. No way. That's hilarious. <laughs> well, not really. So I gave it to him to wear to on stage with, I think with Rob Zombie or something like that, and then he, he never returned it, but he did tell everybody where he got the jacket. So then, like, Machine Head called, and, like, Creedle of Filth, and a bunch of other people, and then I was still at my full-time job at the university, and uh, this kind of, like, all these big bands are wearing my stage clothes, and I've got, like, basically two full-time jobs, and I'm never sleeping. Yeah, I was gonna say. And, you know, I don't have kids or anything, so I was like, you know, what would happen if I, like, quit my job? Like, how many jackets do I need to make a week to, like, pay my health insurance, which is a very American problem. Being Canadian, you probably don't have that. That's, that's not my first thought. I think about my... <laughs> I think about I think about some other problems that I can't afford. <laughs> yeah, paying the bar tab. Yeah, exactly. I feel you on that one. I'm saving so much money with the bars being closed because I, my grocery bill for beer and whiskey and wine is like insane. But I'm like, that's <laughs> a quarter of what I would have spent this week at the bar. That's right, because we end up buying beers for other people too. <laughs> I do that too. I'm like, we're out for everybody. I'm like a regular at all the beer bars. So, and then they're just like, oh, you'd like this, Dilla, you know, or whatever. And I end up just stopping by for no reason all the time. <laughs> and then it's even worse at shows because you've got like show prices. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they usually jack up the price on the one decent craft beer they have. You got to get your hookups. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, usually it's like if I'm going to a show, it's someone I'm working with or for. And then, oh, yeah, I, that story got derailed. Anyway, I quit my job. <laughs> and that was like uh, 10 years ago and started Killer Custom Rockwear as my full time thing. And then I've been doing it full time for 10 years. About six years ago, I got a full, an assistant to help me. So. So now I have three assistants. Wow. And um, and about three years ago, I moved it out of my house into a downtown studio, which was life-changing for, I don't know, creative types. If you're feeling frustrated or not focused, like at the time I had a boyfriend living with me and he would come home from work at like 5 p.m. and distract the hell out of me. Not as a bad thing, but you know, I just couldn't get any work done because I'm a night person, so I didn't work nine to five. And um, it was nice to have a space where I could go and just be like, it is my time to work and focus on this thing now, not everybody distract me and I can finally focus when you go to bed at midnight, you know, or something. So that's that's been a privilege to be able to do this for a living for the last decade. And it's been even more of a privilege to dress a bunch of bands that, like, I would say I'm a huge fan of, like, King Diamond and creators oh, cool. bands like that. So. <laughs> that's, that's really fucking awesome, yeah. What What is the importance of stage clothes? Me being a guy that... Me and Flo, we've had this argument, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I already had a talk flow, flow into the clothes for <laughs> Ultimus. <laughs> you talked him into it? Yeah. Well, I was like, you know... Just take what you already wear and make it look slightly cooler for when you're on the stage. Because yeah, I'm a guy, I'll, I'll wear a shirt and my jeans, and then I'll just walk onto stage. Right. <laughs> what is is that okay? Are we allowed to do that, or do you think? I that- think death metal as a genre that is the look. You know, you have your symphonic bands that have more of a theatrical appeal but if you go back to like the origins of like florida death and stuff you've got your like cut off camo shirts and your t-shirts that's been the uniform since the start but if you look at things like venom Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. 
or Judas Priest, that's like a very big, like the visual component there is huge. So it depends on what kind of band you are. And I feel like tons of bands put like a huge amount of effort once they get bigger into like their stage productions. So they'll have these complicated backdrops and sets and lighting. And then they're just wearing like street clothes. And like, did you guys like fire the costume department, you know? <laughs> but like, I think it, the problem is B, I am an extreme metal musician. So like, I understand that mentality and why you don't want to look like a hot topic poser or, you know, I understand guys, like I'm totally the like bro zoned in my entire life. You know, I mean, in extreme metal bands, I used to be like, a, you know, academic in like computer science and archeology, span there's no women. And like, you know, so I get, you don't want to look like Motley Crue, you know, kind of thing, or you don't want to wear these hot things that are uncomfortable on stage. So it's just taking what you're comfortable with and remembering not to neglect like that part of the visual story you're trying to tell live. So like King Diamond's a great example because that was one of my favorite things. We did the Abigail tour. They did their 20th anniversary reunion. And they had this huge elaborate stage set and I think King was the only one wearing some jacket, the same jacket that he's had for years, but the rest of the band, Andy and them just had Hot Topic stuff or, you know, what you get little goth, goth markets at the festivals you play. So I was just like, okay, if I'm listening to this album and I'm looking at the cover of the album, I'm a big vinyl person, you know, what do I see the band wearing when they play it? And so then I try to come up with some sketches like that. Then I talked to the guys, like, would you hate wearing this? Like, what do you wear normally? Are you, like, a skinny jeans guy or, like, a cargo shorts guy? (laughs) That's good. It should be, like, uh, something that you're comfortable with because it is – when you go on stage, you're, like, you're – it's, like, an amplification of who you are as a person, even though it's a character. Right. You have to be comfortable because – you know, you're the one putting yourself out there in front of thousands of people, even if it's a representation of yourself. Like with Guar, the first gig I played, we had, uh, I kind of got thrown into that band sort of last minute. And our first gig was um, Riot Fest in Chicago for like 20,000 people or something. Jeez, yeah. And I had like four rehearsals. And um, we hadn't really fully decided whether I was going to wear pants or not. (laughs) (laughs) Were were there there other costumes, discussions of what was going on down there? Oh, yeah. We had been making my costume for like a month or so. It takes a long time to make those costumes. And I designed like um, Matt McGuire, who does like all the Slave Pit stuff. He and I had been in like discussions with they, they involved me heavily in what they wanted it to look like. And I was in there like painting stuff and helping you know i don't know anything about sculpting latex they did all that but uh we designed it together with my idea in mind because they're just i'm like who is voltron they're like make it up you know (laughs) what's your name you just make up a guar character all right it did that and then i was like i don't know how i feel about my ass hanging out in front of (laughs) like thirty thousand people for the rest of my life yes (laughs) yeah like that's going to be out there forever And then they were like, Brocky did it, so you have to do it. He was like a really good, you know, friend of mine, which is how I got the gig. Yeah. And uh, and I was like, all right, well, all the rest of y'all, your ass is hanging out. It's just kind of different if you're like a fat dude than me. But why should it be? So took my pants off and went out there in a thong. 
again. And then I was never allowed to wear pants again. Well, you killed but, it. You killed it. I remember the internet <laughs> just exploded. It did break the internet several times during that. <laughs> yeah. I had to learn like how to deal with what happens when you break the internet and not taking it to heart so much. <laughs> Don't ever read the comments. Advice number one. Absolutely. I say it on the podcast all the time. And rule number two is obviously never respond. Oh, yeah. It's even worse. <laughs> Just remember your bridge troll rules, Kim. You know? <laughs> Don't feed them. <laughs> it used to be me. Shit sucks. You park it probably I don't know how, what your mindset was. I replaced uh, Lord Worm, obviously, and I yeah. was terrified, completely unprepared to, to do what I did. How did you approach coming in as they didn't really like announce you as anyone? You just sort of showed up at a show. Yeah. So, like, I feel like that was uh, unfortunate because they didn't give them the chance to get ahead of the narrative. And everyone was kind of confused. Like, their idea was, okay, well, no one can replace Brocky, so let's just apples and oranges that and get a girl. So, you know, and I was like, that's brilliant. And then they had Bishop, who's like a veteran of the band. Yeah. And I liked that dynamic with the two of us. But people were so excited about me because if you put, like, a giant blonde, blood-spewing, no-pants-wearing chick in the band. Who's going to pay attention to anything else going on? They didn't really give Bishop his fair due, and I think that caused some, like, complicated dynamics there, to say the least. So, um, you know, I mean, I don't care. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm like, hey, people are paying attention to the band. They're talking about it. That's good, right? You know? <laughs> you, you have to focus on that, and what I learned from that whole ideal is no press is bad press, but if you are the fucking new guy, they're always going to shit on you and no one will ever be as good as the first album or the first demo or the first vocalist. And it doesn't diminish your efforts. It's just like, you know, uh, I think you have to ignore that. The things that always bothered me in the comments were like, when someone acts like they know something about you personally yeah, and you're yeah. like, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> you know, they're like... You know, they're like, oh, yeah, I, she was just there banging all these dudes. I'm like, what? I got laid? Like, when? Like, <laughs> that's awesome. Like, please inform me who I'm begging, please, because I'd like that. Or, oh, yeah, she's a huge alcoholic. I'm like, did you watch the Kurokan virtual pub and then just assume that's my normal state? Because <laughs> don't tell me you've never been drunk on a Saturday at noon in a video chat with your band. <laughs> of course it, it, it definitely <laughs> and, and you know all these trolls and I, I've had a bunch obviously when they meet when we meet them in real life they're always super nice to me and I'm sure that's the same to you no they like those people are just uh, you know bored and want to feel a part of something they care about and you know have opinions like I don't, I don't take it to heart unless they get like sexist or personal, and then I take it to heart. Even then, you shouldn't read the comments because you're gonna see some shit. Well, you're not because it's not sexist, but you're gonna see somebody would probably be like, know some tidbit of information about you and make some extrapolation that like hits a nail in the head. Oh yeah, um, you know, just make up some personal drama or something like, oh, he's an alcoholic, he's got a you know beer podcast there. You know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I'm waiting for that one to happen. But um, it was almost as if it was all planned to put the band up at a higher place with the whole entry shock value at Riot Fest and then the way that they 
I don't want to say dismissed you. They kicked you out of the band or asked you to leave the band was also very public. Yeah, that was uh, an accident. And I think and I don't like to dredge up any old drama about that anymore because they speak very highly of me in public now. And I like to return the favor. I think it was a, a miscommunication all around and mainly the fault of one person who has since apologized to me. So I don't really have any bad blood, even though it was unfortunate at the time. And like, I think the only real problem I have is the way certain like metal media websites like cling to personal drama and like try to make things worse. And they did that before the internet too. If you look at the whole like Phil Anselmo and Dimebag's death situation where they put like headlines on the covers of magazines that just make bad personal situations worse, you know? And certainly in the age of the internet, like, if you say something incendiary, like, Blabbermouth is the worst on one of those, and I don't mind talking shit on them, because they do it on purpose. <laughs> it's like, you gotta get, you gotta, take, gotta get those clicks. Yeah. Let's just take the worst thing that you said that's gonna get the most, you know, people talking about it, and let's just take a really unflattering photo of you. And to me, like, and then Metal Sucks does it too um, with their, like, witch hunty stuff. And I'm like, are you guys actually fans? Because, like, who do you think your intended audience is here? Like, would people be reading an interview with Cryptopsy that aren't, like, Cryptopsy fans? Because I'm pretty sure no one is clicking on this except for people who like your band. So why would you do them a disservice? <laughs> Absolutely. Those, those people that like the juice, the juicy gossip garbage. And uh, the, the, the the whole witch hunt they were on last year was, was pretty intense. Uh, I, I remember feeling, when I started the podcast, I had a few questions about it. At first, I wanted to challenge people to see what they thought about that. But uh, do you? how would you feel if they brought Volvatron back with someone else? Oh, I would not appreciate that because it's my, I feel like Volvatron is my intellectual property, even if she doesn't have a place outside of Guar. They told me to make it up. They told me to come up with that, you know. And, like, I came up with everything from the name to the entire being of the character. So if they don't want Voltron, they don't want me, you know, kind of thing. Plus, like, yeah, the whole, I mean, this is, rel I'm actually, I don't want to get back into this drama, but it was slightly beer related because I feel like I was slightly persecuted for being a beer drinker because I am a beer drinking, beer loving woman and... You can't take me to a metal show or play a show without my beer like that. I mean, it's not that I physically can't do it. I'm not addicted to alcohol. I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not in denial of that fact. I just took all the days between that pub chat off of drinking from this is my first beer in here. And it wasn't hard. Like, it's, you know, cheers. But I love beer. It's a positive thing for me. I have never done anything I regret because of drinking. The worst thing that happens is I spend too much money on my bar tab, which happens frequently, or I forget to plug in my phone, or I, my abs <laughs> my abs don't look the way they want them to at that moment. <laughs> but there you go. That's another negative side effect. Absolutely. But Gotta fight the through hops. Beer, yeah, through beer I have like a community, like it's something to do every place I go, try the local beer. I love the way beer makes me feel. I love the taste of beer. I love talking about beer. You know, some people into coffee, it's kind of the same thing, except it affects you, you know, with the alcohol. But for me personally, I drink so much beer that unless I chug a 9% Trappist, then <laughs> it's not really doing much. You did, it, you, did it, you did it so quickly, too. 
I don't know why I listened to him about that. I just thought it'd be funny. You know, it's like, all right, check that. I'm good at chugging. They put me in one of those, um, you know, Hofbrau house, like, chug content. I did that in Vegas. They put me up against a bunch of, like, frat boys and do the, like, leader chug. Can always uh, win that. <laughs> it was just, I, I missed it. I looked away for one second and it was gone. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot that one was so alcoholic too. He's like, "How, Kim? How how much alcohol content does that one have?" And I'm like, "Oh, nine. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> See you guys later. It's been fun." <laughs> Let, let's go back to to kill a customer rock where. Uh, I think it's cool what you have been doing during uh, the pandemic. I, I'd like to touch on that. Uh, you've been very very busy sewing, sewing yeah, so very much. We, we have been making masks for healthcare workers and for the general public. So I I had this like, the first week that the pandemic hit and all the shows got canceled, I'm like, well, you know, no one's gonna want any stage gear if there's no shows for two years. And the other thing we do is like WWE and wrestling. So there's not wrestling shows either. I mean, really? luckily- I have a, someone in mind already. I, can, I already know who you made something for. <laughs> yeah. Well, like l- luckily the WWE and AEW are still running like TV shows. So that's one outlet. But I was like, okay, I have to, first of all, apply for loans. And secondly, come up with something else to do in the meantime. And then people kept posting these like craft aid, like, so healthcare workers masks thing and i got real frustrated because as a scientist from a scientific background like there's no supporting evidence of these patterns that people were posting for like how safe is this material like how you know it's just grandmas using their quilt stash to make masks which is great but what if you're actually doing more harm than good by giving some poor healthcare worker who needs the mask to function in their job like a false sense of security so mm-hmm. i did I took two weeks and I went through every like hundreds of videos and websites to find some sort of scientific information about like what materials are safe and effective and what to do and what not to do with these masks. And I finally like boiled that down into what I think is the safest possible handmade mask. And I started making them. And um, then I also made my idea was like, well, let's make them for free, right? But then. The problem is I spent, I think, $600 in materials, $200 in shipping supplies, $500 to ship it. I'm like, I'm down like three grand that I didn't have and 200 hours of work. So I was like, I bet people would pay for these actually, but if I wanted to make them free if people needed them. So my idea was like, let's make really cool, like post-apocalyptic looking fashion masks so that the public, the general public doesn't mind wearing masks going out if they look awesome. You know, so that they, if they inadvert, if they're an asymptomatic person, they're not spreading their droplets, and we're gonna use those masks to pay for the other masks. Brilliant. So each week, I made as many like healthcare worker masks and fashion masks as possible, and then I started doing these mask releases, and they took off like iPhone sales or something. Like, I'll list 200 masks, and they're gone in like 15 minutes. Wow. And it's insane. And it makes me feel really good because I get a bunch of... I tell, ask people to send me mask selfies. So I um, get a bunch of mask selfies back from, like, healthcare workers or grocery store workers or UPS drivers wearing the mask and saying that it's the most comfortable mask they have and that it's breathable and that it makes them feel safe because I did the materials research. And, and then people send me, like awesome post-apocalyptic mask selfies <laughs> where they look like you know mad max and 
they want to wear that. I want to wear those masks. Like they look cool, you know. And it's it's about normalizing that so that people don't show up to Costco with guns because they want other people to feel safe. I'm immunocompromised. I have a immune condition called alopecia areata where I don't have any hair on my, and then I have um, other immune conditions and asthma, lung condition. So, you know, I'm at risk here and it makes me uncomfortable to just see people like not caring that they could get at risk or older people sick by just, you know, like the kind of people that go to work because they have a cold. Okay, your cold is not going to kill anyone. I understand you can't lose your $300 you were going to make today because you have a cold, but you should definitely care that you're probably going to kill like your coworker's mother mm-hmm. or sister that has rheumatoid arthritis or something, you know, if you go to work without a mask on. So I feel like... Um, by making the masks, we not only are doing a good community service and promoting like public mask wearing by making them look awesome, but um, I'm able to continue as a business in 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 the time of no shows. <laughs> but then the problem is that people still been placing orders. Like I'm like, who are these people? You know, like what do you uh, need pe- this people for? Like, they're this- being creative. They they are imagining their new stage getup. We have a lot. Of, are, we have yeah. a lot of time on our hands. Music video shoots, yeah. they're doing that, you know, indie wrestlers, they want to get a new look together. So I'm like, okay, we're doing masks every other week now. <laughs> so. That's crazy. That's amazing. That's amazing that you've done all this, uh, being so creative and uh, doing all the research beforehand too, not just making just anything because a lot of people are just making nonsense stuff with their logo on it and it frustrates me. Yeah, that's unsafe, you know, and then people send me stuff with like studs on it. I'm like, it has holes in the mask to put the studs in it that negates the point of wearing the mask. Also, like, the virus can stay on that metal for like, you know, seven days. Like, what are you doing? I saw one company that put sequins on them. I'm like, that, what? Like, first of all, there's holes all over it. And secondly, it's plastic. Like, that is the worst kind of material you could possibly make. <laughs> uh, Sunday was rough for me. Let's wrap this up with uh, my closing question for the past few for past few months now. Um, what is your hangover cure? Oh, I have a routine. <laughs> yeah, okay, so, talk, talk me through it. <laughs> so I have um, the thing. I, I don't get very hungover when I can control what I drink because I like to drink nice beer and I like to drink nice whiskey. But if I'm out and people are buying me drinks or if I'm in a new country and I'm not really sure about a beer or something, then sometimes I can end up with a nasty hangover. Or if it's a breakfast gig and I didn't eat enough. Yeah. So my stomach will get kind of fucky. So like the first thing I do is like chug a giant ginger ale or Gatorade, not water, <laughs> and take some Advil and then go back to bed for like 30 minutes till that kicks in. <laughs> then I need like a greasy breakfast or some greasy food, like something really basic. Uh, like bacon and eggs is a great hangover cure, or like a burger or pizza or just something you shouldn't eat normally. <laughs> it just <laughs> absorbs all the nasty. <laughs> then I usually have a Bloody Mary or a Pilsner. And like in, in Swedish, they call it the Altarstellera, which means like, it's literally, you know, it's kind of the same thing as hair of the dog, but it literally means to repair. Like, it's like the drink that you have that repairs you. Um, 
and then uh yeah shower more sleep whatever you know another greasy meal following <laughs> usually the leftovers of the first greasy meal i couldn't get down that that is all of the answers i've had in the past few months what about you what's your what's your hangover recipe i could tell you what i did on sunday yeah tell me i woke up i have two little kids so uh, we live in a small condo, so it was beautiful. So I took them out to the park and I lied down on the floor <laughs> and watched them play at a distance and suffered in silence. It's, it's, it's sort oh, of, man. it's my technique and it was brutal and it was, it lasted, it was a long hangover that lasted till, till at least supper time. We don't envy you with the kids thing, but I, the park and lying down sounds a great method. I feel like the two of us had it worse because it was way we hadn't, you know, had a day of meals in us. You know, uh, we just I, like I wake up I and start stop drinking. Either is the issue. Yeah, well, <laughs> I drank everything that I should have drank it all weekend, like in two hours, and then it was a weird hangover because I got really drunk and passed out at like six p.m. or whenever I hung up the call. Then. Uh, I got woken up by a phone call at like nine. I was like, I'm fine. I feel great. <laughs> like, and it's like one of those weird things. I call it your hangover still in the mail where you feel like suspiciously fine. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm definitely still drunk. I've had a few. So of the, I, I've had a few of those. those are, that, that's when you know you're in trouble. Oh, yeah. So then I uh, went back to bed mm-hmm. and I woke up at like two in the morning with like death hangover. <laughs> <laughs> Which is really offset from the usual timetable of this. <laughs> At least you can go back to bed. I have a hard time sleeping yeah. when I'm hungover, though. That's the thing. Yeah, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't. So I watched like the most boring things I could find on Netflix, and I tried to like Pepto Bismol it, and like everything's closed and it's pandemic. I think I ate some tortillas or something. <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. I, I definitely want to do the next uh, the virtual mm. pub. It was really, really fun. It was cool to, to hang out with people from all across the globe all at once. I love these things. I have my own, the Vox and Hops Thirsty Thursday virtual hangs. If ever you want to join, I'd be honored. It'd be, it's always yes. a good time. Yeah. I would love to. So I mean, invite, I will be there. It's not like I'm doing much, you know? <laughs> well, I guess I'm You're sewing, sewing but yeah. I, guess I am sewing, but I mean, I can drink and sew too. And it's nice to put the mask sweatshop down for an hour and have human interaction and it was great to meet you through the virtual pub experience and i'm sure that i'm sure we're going to do this again in person and uh, we'll have lots of fun definitely (laughs) when the world opens up that's after the apocalypse kim thank you so so much for taking some time resting your sewing hands drinking some craft beer with me i really really appreciated it thank you for having me this is a lot of fun cheers everyone go buy some cheers some killer custom rockware (laughs) Thank you. Cheers. Bye. Hey, thank you so, so much for listening right to the end. You know that I love and appreciate that. Such a great chat with Kim. I love what she's doing. You guys should go out there and support kill a custom rockwear if you're looking for a cool stage outfit kim's the one to go to she does it for everyone she is absolutely amazing at what she does and uh and i support her fully you should absolutely do that as well i hope you guys have a great weekend i am looking forward to relaxing a little bit i will be back at you next week with two episodes one on tuesday and one on friday but until then remember to enjoy life metal and craft beer cheers fox and hopsits
This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now.